Greetings Pastor Andrew in City Life Church in Melbourne. So good to be able to talk with you today. I'm so sorry I can't be with you. I had so looked forward to the time there, but it's circumstances outside our control, as sometimes happens. So I'm so glad and honoured to be able to have a chance to share with you today and just pray that as I share the Word of God, that the presence of God will come on you. I pray especially today for a spirit of revelation to come around your heart and life, because this is a very powerful message. So what I want to share today and speak on today, I want to speak on God's sonship design. Sonship design. And this is a very powerful message. It's quite deeply impacted me as God started to open it to me. I want to read from uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. And we read in verse uh, 18 and 19. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's an amazing statement just there where Paul, who's going through so many difficulties, says, I really don't consider these an issue or a problem. They're not big because I have a vision of what God is wanting to do in his people, of his glory being revealed in us. And then he goes on to say a little more, for he says, the earnest expectation of all of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice what he's talking about there. He, he says that the whole of creation is in great anticipation of God fulfilling what he set out and planned always to do, which was to uncover and unveil or reveal his sons in the earth, the manifestation of the sons of God. That word son there is the word huios in the Greek. It means to be a fully mature, grown man of God, to be a fully mature son of God. So we find in the Bible there are different stages of growth. There are babes, there are young men, there are fathers, there are sons who are fully mature men of God or fully mature in what God has for them. Notice it says there's a revealing to take place. In other words, it's not obvious right now what God is doing. This is something that he will uncover or reveal or bring into an open manifestation. So while many people are living in fear and in panic and upset about the circumstances taking place in the world, uh, God is working all over the world with a plan in mind that he will uncover and unveil what he's been working at all these generations. He will unveil his sons for the earth to see. So I want to share something about that. Uh, the Bible is very clear from one end to the other of God's intention that he would manifest his glory in the earth. So we have to look at something like this and ask this question. Why did God create the earth in the first place? And then what was his plan or what did he have in mind in doing that? So when God created the physical world, his desire and intention was that he would reveal his glory, reveal his goodness, his nature throughout the whole of the physical world and through all of his physical creation. It was always his intention. He states it in a number of places. For example, in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 21, when the people of God came out of Egypt and were going through the wilderness and failed to enter the promised land, which is a picture of God's plan in the end time church, he said, uh, these, even though these men will fall in the wilderness, nevertheless, the whole earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So God himself says 
that there is a coming day when all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, the goodness of God, the nature of God, the power of God, the amazing and supernatural power of God, he will manifest it throughout the earth. What a great, great hope. It's no wonder the whole earth is in expectation for that. In another place in Habakkuk, he says, uh, the whole earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory of God. So there's not even a hidden thing. It's something God is planning to do. And you and I have the privilege of being a part of God's great design and great plan. So we need to understand it, how it works out. And so first, that means we need to look back to the original design. You always need to go back to the book of beginnings. And uh, when you go back to the book of beginnings, then you start to see uh, in, a, in a brief form God's original plan. So in Genesis 1 and verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle, all the earth, every creeping thing over that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. He blessed them said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, notice here God's statement. He said, let us make man in our image. Now, God is a spirit being. That's who he is. He's a spirit being. So when it says, let us make man in our image, God created man as a spirit being. Only a spirit being could represent him in the earth. So man is created as a spirit being with a soul, with a mind, will, emotions, and heart, but placed into a physical body to live and outwork his purpose in the physical world. So God's original intention is that he would, when he created the physical world, he would display his glory in the physical world, and he would do it through people that were made in his image and likeness. And uh, so God uh, set in place Adam, his son. It says, in Genesis 5, verse 2, it says he called their name Adam. So when God created Adam and Eve, he called their name Adam. So we're looking, whether it's a man or whether it's a woman, we're looking at God creating people for himself to represent what he's like and reflect what he's like in the earth. God has never changed the plan. So God didn't have a plan B. He always had that plan. Now, the, the way, now God's got many ways he could show his glory. He could show it through miracles. He's done that through the Bible. But the way God primarily wanted to express himself in the, himself in the earth is through a father-son relationship. A father-son relationship. So you'll find when you read through the Bible, there are some unique things regarding father-son relationship. Remember what we just read? The whole earth is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. A father-son relationship. So... That's God's original design to manifest his glory and expand his kingdom in the earth is to do it through a man in relationship with him as a father. So God the Father came and met with Adam every day and talked with his son about what he was doing. He gave Adam a mandate. He gave him a place or a territory to dwell in. He gave him a mandate to cultivate that territory, to govern that territory, he authorized man to act as his representative in the earth. So you have to understand then that God's original pattern, God's original design is that a spirit being made in his image and likeness, but living in a physical body 
would extend or duplicate him in the earth, that that man would be in relationship with him and that man would extend his kingdom, producing a fruitful and a wonderful environment in the earth. That was the original plan. And of course, we're aware that uh, this is, uh, that plan was sabotaged. The Bible tells us in, in Luke 38, for example, that Adam was the son of God. If Adam is the son of God, then God must be his father. So we see the original plan, a father and a son working together with the son dependent on the father and the father resourcing the son. So we need to then look then what we mean by father and what we mean by son. Because so often when we use words like that, and we see those words in the Bible, we have in our mind our own experiences of these things and they color the way we view it. We think in terms, when we hear the word father, we think in terms of the father we had. May have been a wonderful father, may have been quite broken, he may have been somewhere in between, may have been cold and distant, may have been loving. But God's original design is that a father and son relationship, uh, that his kingdom would advance through the earth and he would become fruitful. So when the Bible uses the word father, what does it mean? The word father literally means to be a source, it means to be an originator, it means to be a founder, it means to be the head, it means to be the person of honor. All of those meanings are carried in the Bible in the word father. Father is a source, father is originator, father is, uh, um, father is the head, father is the founder. So the word source, so, so all the way through the Bible, a father is considered a source, a source of many things actually. The role of a father then is a, to be a source of life, to impart life. The role of a father is to be a source of provision. So the expectation uh, that God has that he would be a provider. He would provide everything that Adam needed. Uh, that God would be a protector. His power and resources would always be available to protect and to help. Uh, the, a father is a source of identity. Uh, identity, who I am. And uh, if you don't know where you've come from, then you certainly don't, are not sure about your identity. Your identity comes from somewhere. Our identity comes from the God who created us. We are made in his image and likeness. He is our father. We carry, we represent him in the earth. Only a son can carry the true image of the father. And so a father then is a source, source of identity, provision, protection, direction, source of blessing. And the Bible says in Ephesians 3, and verse 15, it says, the whole family in earth is named after our Father in heaven or takes on itself the nature of our Heavenly Father. Now, of course, when sin entered the world, then there was a massive problem and a massive change in what God had designed. Now, let's just go, before we go to there, let's look at the word son and what we mean by son. So again, when you use the word son, people have their own thinking about what that might mean. But the Bible word used for son is the word ben, meaning to be a builder of the father's house, to be a builder of the father's business, or to be a builder and extender of the father's name. So always when you hear the word son, it always meant someone who was a builder, someone who extended and took the father's name and carried that name further. So in other words, literally, by producing children, the father's name is extended. So the most simple way that happens is the father's name is extended through the son when they have children. Uh, but it means a lot more than that, of course. So the son is the builder of the father's house or the builder of the father's name. 
He's the one who expands the Father's house on the earth. The Son carries the Father's DNA, or the blueprint of his Father is in him. He looks like his Father. He speaks somewhat like his Father. He carries the nature of his Father. So he's able to be the representative of his Father. So in the Bible, when a son grew to a certain stature of maturity, then he was able to represent his Father in the Father's business. A son carries the Father's name. So in the Bible, uh, when it refers to someone, it's the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. The, the son would always carry the father's name. The father's name was where he got his honor from. So even today in many cultures of the world, particularly honor, shame culture, uh, when people ask your name, you give your family name or your father's name where you've originated from. And if that's an honorable family, then there's honor already upon you. So all, all these things come from the Bible. They're, they're very, very biblical. So the son acts as the father's representative. So when the son matured, he was able to then represent the father, make arrangements on the father's behalf. So now you see in the, in, from the Bible, or the way it plans, lays out in the Bible, we see that God's design is that as a father, he has brought forth a son into the earth in his own exact image and likeness. Uh, he has given him a mandate. He's given him a work to do. He's given him an assignment in the earth. He's given him authorization. He's given him uh, the ability to carry it out. He's empowered him to carry out. And he's given him a mandate to extend the Father's kingdom in the earth. That is the plan God had. And even though Adam sinned and betrayed his father and brought shame into the household and was cast out of the household, nevertheless, God's plan never changed. So God's plan still is a father and son. Except I want to show you a, a couple of verses uh, just related to that. We see, for example, in Luke uh, chapter 3 and verse 38, it says that Adam was the son of God. But as we look at God's plan uh, evolving in the, through the Bible, we find, uh, for example, in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, uh, when God is speaking to Moses, he says, now by now... God's family in the earth has increased and increased and increased and increased, become a great and mighty nation. And God refers to Israel as my son. Let my son go that he might serve me was the message that Moses carried to Pharaoh to free the people of God. The people of God were called God's corporate son. He said of Israel, my son. So when God was uh, forming Adam and Eve, he had in mind down the line a corporate son, a body of people, all in relationship with him as a father, that were in unity and united with one another, and he would advance his kingdom through that people. He's never changed his plan. So when God uh, uh, chose to redeem the world or to set the world free or to fix up the mess that Adam had created, how did he do it? Did he send an army of angels into the earth? Did he send uh, legions of angels to do things? Did he come down with fire? No, he didn't do any of those things. He did what he did originally. He sent son. And so we find that God so loved the world, John 3.16, he sent his only son. And so Jesus is commissioned to act as the father's representative, to act as a son, to come into the earth and then to fulfill the Father's mission, which was to redeem the earth, to save us out of the power of sin, 
restore us back to relationship with God as our Father so we might be restored into sonship and restored into dominion and would do what God originally planned, which is advance his kingdom and have dominion over the earth. So we see those scriptures are so very, very clear. God sent his son. So when Jesus died, it was not just so our sins would be forgiven. If that's your concept of salvation, it's a very small one. Jesus did much more than that. He restored to us our sonship. We're now able to come into relationship with God as a father, and he restored to us our authority and dominion so that as we grow up, we can take hold of what God has planned for us. Notice in, uh, for example, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, it, uh, let me just read the verse for you. Let's read the verse for you because it describes Jesus' uh, purpose in coming to the earth. And uh, here's another aspect then of his purpose. We see that he came to destroy the works of the devil. We see he came to seek and save the lost. We see he came to die on the cross for man's sin. came to destroy all the works and power of the devil. But he came primarily to bring us back into sonship and back to the original plan. Except well beyond that because the Bible has a principle that if a thief comes and steals something, the restoration must be greater than what was stolen. So the Bible tells us that the thief be discovered in the book of Proverbs, he must restore sevenfold. If someone steals an ox, he has to restore fivefold. So the principle in the Bible is if something is stolen, then the restoration is greater than the original. So you understand that when the devil stole from Adam what Adam had been entrusted, God responds by sending his son not just to restore it, but to add to it, so that the final picture is far bigger than the first originally was. So let's have a look then in Hebrews chapter, uh, let's have chapter 2 verse 10, let's see if I can find it there. And it says, uh, it's fitting for him, of who, uh, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Therefore, he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, in which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. How about that? Does that understand that God's intention is not just to bring Jesus into glory, God's intention is to bring many sons back into the realm of intimacy with him, of relationship with him, and of carrying his glory back into the earth again. You have an amazing destiny. But it has to start somewhere. In John chapter 1, John chapter 1 and verse 12, <clears throat> John chapter 1 and verse 12, is what it tells us. Then I'll show you how God has designed sonship to operate. It says in John 1 and verse 12, it says, uh, To as many as received him, that's Jesus, to as many as received him, he gave them authority to become children of God even to those who will believe on his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And notice what it says. To as many as welcomed and received Jesus, who was sent by God. In other words, to every person who makes Jesus welcome, who receives Jesus, who responds to him by embracing him and following him. Because to receive him is not just to mentally do this. Notice it said, they are born again by the Spirit of God, not by making a decision to be a Christian. It's actually more than that. It's a transaction where God's Spirit 
comes into our heart. We're no longer orphans anymore, lost in the world without a father. We now have a father and his spirit is in us saying, Abba, Father, we know we're home. We belong to God, our father. That God gives us the authority or the power to become a child of God. But a child has to grow. Because the Bible tells us that if a child remains a child, he's no different to a servant. God wants us to grow into sonship. Now, I want to show you from Jesus' last prayer in John chapter 17, three interlocking facets of sonship, God's design. And all three work together. If you take one out, you end up with something completely distorted. So it may have some good things in it, but it's distorted from the design or the pattern that God had. Often God does things in threes. But this shows up to me extremely clearly in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 as he ends his, his uh, uh, ministry on the earth. In John chapter 17, and so we read uh, from verse 1. John 17 verse 1. And Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your son also may glorify you. For you've given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now, I want to share and, and just focus on three verses here. And out of the three verses, I'll show you three facets of God's sonship design, all working together, all interconnected, all needing the other part to function completely. So notice it's found, firstly, the first one is found in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So notice, Jesus says he's been sent. And uh, the word sent there is the word apostello. There's no way you can translate its meaning properly out of the original language into English language, so they just use the word apostle. So he's been apostled or apostolically commissioned. But the word for the people reading this meant this. Uh, and a, a, a person who was sent uh, was commissioned by the Empire of Rome or the Emperor of Rome. The Emperor of Rome would commission a general to go into a foreign territory to overcome and conquer the enemies in that territory, to establish the government of Rome in that territory and establish the culture of Rome. Huh? So the word apostolic meant someone sent on a mission with an assignment to enter foreign territory occupied by an enemy, subdue and overcome the enemy, and then establish the culture and the ways and the, and the government of Rome. Now, you understand, that's how they all understood it. Everyone understood what apostolic was. So when Jesus, when the Bible uses that word about Jesus, apostolically sent, apostolically commissioned. This is what God has in mind. I'm sending my son from heaven into the earth. He's going into a hostile territory where there are demonic spirits and demonic powers. And I have given him an assignment to enter that territory, to destroy the works of the devil, to conquer and overthrow the devil, to release the captives, release the people, and to establish my kingdom on earth, my values on earth, my culture on earth, and a gateway for the power of heaven to enter the earth. Apostella. Apostella. Now you can understand why Jesus preached the kingdom of God. He's talking about another kingdom has come. 
This is why we see how he ministered the power. He set people free. He overcame demons. And finally at the cross broke the power the devil had over every person. We see this is what apostella means, to go into and invade a territory. God's plan is always his sons will be apostello sent. Every son of God, every child of God, God wants you to have an apostello mindset that wherever you are, you have been commissioned and sent by your father to enter a territory in which demonic beings are hindering what is happening to overcome them, to establish a different culture, a different life, and to bring the liberty of heaven into the earth. That's what God has in mind for us. It, the plan never changed. It was the original plan. It was seen in glimpses through the story of Israel and through various men in the Bible, but it's seen in Jesus Christ, and his desire is to bring many of us into glory. So now let's have a look. What I want to show you here now in verse 3, a key, a key aspect of it, number 1. So notice that Jesus even said that in, in Matthew 12, 28, he said, he said, if I cast out demons, if I conquer and overcome demons and cast them or force them out of people, then the kingdom of heaven has come to the earth. In other words, he's saying that deliverance, demons being overthrown and people set free, is an evidence the kingdom is real and it's here and it's now. Why the church would let go of deliverance when it's so clearly a part of Jesus' ministry and the number one sign that he demonstrated the reality of his kingdom on earth. Anyway, let's go through to the first one. Now in verse 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So number one, the first and most important priority of sonship, of being a son, being a child of God, is intimacy with Father. Intimacy with Father. Intimacy with Father. In other words, that we carry the presence of God. Presence of God only comes upon our life and around our life in a tangible way if we have time building intimacy with Father, intimacy with God. The word this is, this is eternal life. Eternal life means the life that is not limited to this realm. It's a life that comes from the eternal realm of God, unlimited life full of resources. Here's that life that comes from God. This is eternal life. Eternal life is not some sort of gift I get. It's a divine connection, knowing God as my Father, knowing Jesus Christ who fully represents him. There's no way to God as a father except through Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because Jesus, Hebrews 1, 3, is the express image of the father. If you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the one who sent him. You are rejecting the father who's exactly like him. So eternal life then is an intimate relationship both with Jesus Christ and then with God as our father. Coming to Christ makes the way for us to come to know God intimately as our Father. So the first and primary function in sonship is intimacy. What do we mean by that? It is, first of all, to know someone. Notice he said that word is to know. The word to know is the word gnosko, meaning to know by experience, to have connection intimately and come to know someone by revelation, by experience. That means to take literally the covering off and, and reveal that person. So, so intimacy, God's design for an intimate relationship is an encounter face-to-face. -face. We experience him, 
we, have, we feel his presence, we engage him, we hear him, we see, we, bec we become connected to him in a very deep and a personal way. And of course, his riches and his glory is so great. This is a lifelong pursuit. And Paul wrote in Philippians 3, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ is so abundant. I've given up everything to find it. And he, he had a life pursuit to know Jesus, to hunger after him and to know God as the Father. And so the Bible is very clear, and we saw this in our last session uh, on prayer. Then John 4, 24, the Father seeks to know, seeks people who worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is seeking and looking for intimate people. He's looking for sons he can share his heart with, share his life with. And when he finds one, he pours his grace out on them. Notice what he said of David. He said, David is a man after my own heart. And, uh, and so he served his generation by the will of God. So David had a heart to know what God, he wanted to know what God loved, to know what God loved, to know what he liked, to know what he hated, and then to hate the things God hated, to love the things God loved. David was passionate in his relationship with God. And God said, oh, he's a man after my own heart. And so we can look at David and see the lacks and the failings and the falling short. God looks on the heart and saw a heart that pursued him and loved him. And so the first priority, of course, of any son is intimacy or having a deep personal relationship with God as your father. Now, for many people, they're happy to come and they talk to Jesus and pray to Jesus, but there's, there's issues in the heart that are unresolved related to their father or difficulties to come to know God as a father. This is a pursuit we need to make. This is what God desires. The father wants to talk with the sons and know his sons. Jesus said, I do only the things I see the father do. He said, I don't do my own will. I do the will of my father who sent me. So Jesus' constant framework for his life was he was in a deep loving relationship with his father and desired to bring pleasure to him, desired to please him with his life. That's why at Jesus' baptism, you hear a voice out of heaven, this is my son and I love him and he brings me great pleasure. Jesus is being commended and loved upon by his father. And this is the same thing that God wants for us. He wants you to have a love relationship. He wants to make himself known. Uh, in John 14, Jesus said, if anyone love me, let me keep my commandments and I will love him and my father will love him and we'll come and manifest ourselves to him. So the number one priority of, uh, of sonship is an ongoing growing in intimacy with God as your father and intimacy with Jesus Christ, the one who fully represents him, our elder brother, the model and the pattern son. Here's the second thing. And they're not an order of important. The number one important is, the, is, the, is this area. But here's the second thing. Notice what it said, that, that the son was sent. So in verse 4, it says, I have glorified you on earth. That means I brought honor to you with my life. And I brought honor on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. Now, the second major aspect of sonship design, or the second aspect we designed first, for intimacy with God, for relationship that goes on forever, but also we're designed for a purpose. We're designed to carry his presence. We're also designed for purpose, or putting it another way, every son receives an assignment from his father, a divine assignment. So the first is then presence of God, intimacy with God. The second is a divine assignment. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Notice what he said, he didn't say I finished lots of things. 
He said, I finished what you gave me to do. True success in life can only be determined not by what you've done or what's around you. Did I do what God sent me in the earth to do? So Jesus, again, being the pattern son, that word work means an assignment. It means a task that has been uniquely given to you or entrusted to you by someone that you, you're required to report back to them on the task you did. That's what an assignment is. So every, you notice every son has an assignment, a task that's personally given to them. So uh, you were born into this earth, firstly, with purpose. Purpose is the reason why something exists. So when you came into this earth, God brought you in on purpose. Now, maybe your background was unexpected how you came into the earth, but from God's point of view, you were no surprise. When God brought you into this earth, he first of all had a purpose for you. Then he brought you into the earth to complete that. So all of us as sons are called to intimacy with our father. We're also called to discover his purpose for our life, his assignments for our life, because often there are a number of assignments that together make up and define the purpose that we're here. So God has an assignment for every son. Jesus knew his purpose from the very beginning. From the age of 12, he was focused on his father's purpose. In uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, when he's found in the, in the temple and the, the parents have brought him to the temple to the feast, and they come away and he's left there. It took him three days to find him. He said, don't you know I must be about my father's business? See, he's demonstrating this is what a son is like. A son not only has intimacy with the father, he understands my father has a purpose for my life. And this is true of every believer. Every believer. In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are his workmanship, a creative work created in Jesus Christ unto good works that God prepared beforehand we would walk in them. So before you were born, See, when God brought you into this earth, he intended you for sonship, intended you for intimacy, but intended you to fulfill an assignment only you can fulfill. Success for you is firstly discovering and being intimate with God as your father, and secondly, discovering and fulfilling your unique assignment. And your assignments change. They grow as your character grows. We'll get to that in a moment. So, so God starts off with an assignment. It might be a very simple, very small assignment. He requires that you understand how to bring his presence, his character, his principles into that area that you represent him. All sons represent their father. So you may have a work and you may be busy in doing some work, but do you represent what your father is like? Because that's what a son's called to do. So notice this, that if all you do is work to serve the Lord and you have no intimacy, you'll have no power for your assignment. If all you do is worship the Lord and spend time in prayer, then you're missing and not doing an assignment. You're not actually outworking that relationship with people. So you need both to bring the balance. We need to have intimacy with God that empowers and directs our life calling and assignment. And we also need to fulfill an assignment that means engaging people and revealing what God is like and bringing blessing and benefit and the life and power of the kingdom. How can you fulfill your assignment without the power of God? Even in business, God wants to bring his power into your business. He gives power to get wealth. 
<laughs> so God wants you to understand the principles of bringing his kingdom into the earth. So every son has intimacy with their father. Every son needs to be intimate to know what to do. But every son has assignments, and that assignment means bringing the life, the power, the reality of God into the earth wherever they're called to function. And that varies from person to person. So we may have different giftings, we may have different callings, but we're all called to be sons to represent our father and to know him and advance his kingdom in some area. It's not important what area, it's not important how big. What is important is your faithfulness in honoring him and fulfilling that part of your assignment. Now understand it comes out in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, we honor you. In other words, the first part of prayer, priority of prayer, Father in heaven, we honor your name, who you are, and all that the qualities of your name represent. And Lord, now we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, we want, Lord, your dominion, your rule, your to come in, that we be productive and we subdue demonic opposition. And then the third area, of course, is the area of God's process. So I've just put it down, presence, uh, presence and then purpose and then process. Uh, God has a process, and that process is transforming us to become like Jesus Christ. So God wants you to be intimate, wants you to fulfill your assignment, wants you to change and grow. Notice what it says in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men you've given me out of the world. What does he mean by manifested your name? The name of someone represents the qualities of someone, their, their character, who they are, what they're like. When God uh, spoke to Moses, he said, I will pass by you and show you my glory. I'll show you all my goodness. I'll reveal who I am to you. And he said, but it would be too much for you, so I have to hide you in the cleft of a rock. And then as he went by, the Lord proclaimed his name, said who he is. And this is what he said. The Lord, the Lord God, meaning I am the eternal, the unchanging, self-existing, all-powerful one. And then he reveals who he is. He said, merciful. The first quality he reveals, apart from his power and majesty, is I am merciful and I am gracious and I'm kind to people. I have compassion for people. I feel their pain and want to engage with them. He says, I am gracious. I reach down to pick up and help those who know they have need and are willing to depend, and so on. And so he reveals what he's like. So you and I, we're not only called for intimacy with our Father and called to uh, fulfill an assignment, we're called to represent our Father. How can you resent, represent someone you don't really know? You just have your own ideas. Jesus, uh, even Paul in writing said, well, I can have all the gifts and I can function in faith and do all these things and know all things, but if I don't have love, then it's all like a clashing symbol. It's empty. In other words, he's saying... No matter what you do, if you don't reveal the nature of God, you have sabotaged and misrepresented what God is like. And uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were very, very busy, very active. They lived very kind of straight, outwardly clean lives, but they didn't carry the heart, the nature. They didn't reveal God. So when Jesus said, I have manifested your name, he's saying, I have brought into physical manifestation and uncovered and revealed the invisible God I have shown you are the Lord, the Lord God. I have shown you are merciful, that you are gracious, 
that you are long-suffering, that you abound in goodness and truth, that you keep mercy for thousands, that you forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. I have revealed what you are like. Now, that's what sons are called to do. You're called to represent your father. If you represent someone, it's not about you, it's about them. You're their representative. So a son represents the father. That means that we need to be transformed. In uh, Romans 8 and verse 29, Romans 8 and verse 29, it says uh, about God's purpose, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Now Jesus, Hebrews 1 verse 3, is the express image of the father and we are to become like our elder brother. He will always be greater than us. However, we're called to be conformed. That means transformed or change radically so that we become like he is in our heart and in our character. Of course, we'll have our own personality and our own giftings, but we can carry his heart. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart. So in other words, he's saying, these are the key qualities of what I am like. I want you to become like that too. So that means we must commit to life transformation. There is a constant ongoing work of God to transform us to become more like Jesus Christ. There is a process God has for developing and shaping sons. Now, of course, that process is painful. That process is difficult. Not everyone likes that process. It says in Hebrews 12 that the father chastens or disciplines every son he loves. And if you don't have discipline, you can hardly be considered a son and worthy of an inheritance. I look at a lot of church people, the moment you try to bring any form of correction to them, they immediately just lose the plot and get angry and upset and offended. Why? God wants to transform you. It's the heart of God to change you. So the pride, the anger, the brokenness, all the things that are there that are broken in your life, God wants to heal them. That's why Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. So there, there'll be multitudes of people watching this and your heart was broken. Well, if your heart is broken, how can you fully represent what God is like? You've got broken places where you don't know his love that heals you. So God wants to heal you if you come from a broken family. God wants to heal your broken heart. If you come from an abused background, God wants to heal the abuse. You understand that to be a son, we don't have to be perfect, but we've got three things going on all the time. Number one, we're in intimacy with relationship and connection. Out of that, he assigns us works and things to do. And as we do that, we realize that we also need to be transformed. We need to grow in our character. We need our heart to transform. So that's where the ministry of healing comes in, the healing of the heart. That's where the transformation of the heart comes in. That's where deliverance comes in. That's where meditation in the Word of God. God wants to change our heart. And so he takes us through a process. And that process is often painful. All of the men and the women in the Bible, all the people in the Bible, that God raised up to become influential sons who represented him, he took them through a process. You think about it. Joseph had to go through a process. He had a dream. He had a relationship with God. He had a dream and a vision of his destiny. There was a process he had to go through. What about David? He had a vision and anointing to be a king, yet he had to go through a painful process. Uh, what about Jesus? Well, he had a call on his life. He still had to go through a process. It's just the way God works. He takes you through a process to humble a heart 
and to transform our heart and to transform our character so more and more people experience the reality of God flowing through our lives. That's God's design. Now notice that if we won't let God transform us, our ministry can be very harsh, very hard, very performance-driven, very lacking in love, using people and committed to a mission, dedicated, so many good qualities, but lacking the heart of God. See, if we focus on inner healing and deliverance and those kind of things and don't get committed to the Great Commission and the ministry and the service, then what happens is we become very introverted and stuck in our little, in our little corner. So you can see how all three things work together. Intimacy with God gives us access to the source of power. The assignments God gives us gives us a place to work out and develop our character grow in faith and in the power of God, the gifts of the Spirit, the ministration of the Spirit, and then we need to let God work in our character so that our heart begins to shift, we're transformed, we let God into the painful places, we grow in our nature and our character, and people more and more see the life and the nature of Jesus Christ in us. This is God's sumptuous design. Now notice with all of those three circles, you need all of them to produce a sum. You take one of them away and something's malfunction. You take away the healing, deliverance, heart and character transformation. You don't have a son, you have a servant. If you take away the ministry, the servant, the, the, the aspect of an assignment, then again, you still don't have a son. You have someone who's entitled and privileged and spending all their time just with God and not doing what he wants them to do. Everything works together. All three come together. And at the core of it all, the one place where those circles overlap it is where the Holy Spirit empowers it all. The Holy Spirit gives us access. We have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Spirit calls and reminds us we are sons. To do the work of God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. To be transformed, we're transformed by the Spirit of God working in our life. What area of sonship do you need to grow in? Do you need to grow in prayer, intimacy, time with Father, getting to know Him? Do you need to focus for a season on the area of healing, perhaps healing in the relationship with your father, relationship with people, perhaps dealing with issues of the heart, perhaps there's areas you need spiritual freedom, perhaps there's areas you need to work on your character with God, or what about your assignment? Have you understood that you have an assignment, and in that assignment, you are developing the character, you are proving your faithfulness, you are having access to grow in your faith dimensions, and you are qualifying yourself for eternity. I just encourage you to think, what area is God speaking to me about? I need to change. I need to actually celebrate. I'm a child of the living God, and I want to grow up to become a full son, a mature son of God. For the whole earth is in earnest expectation, waiting for the manifestations of God's sons. God bless you. If there's anyone there today and you've never taken that first step of receiving Jesus Christ, then I invite you today to pray a simple prayer with me right now. I'd like you all to just follow me in the prayer. Let's just close our eyes right now. And if you're sitting there, wherever you are, perhaps you're right at that place. Actually, I'm separated from God. I'm living a life without God. I'm living a life separated from purpose. And I'm also broken in heart. I have things wrong in my life. I need to make that first step today to receive Jesus Christ and put my trust and commit my life to him. Would you do that today? I'll lead you in a prayer. Just follow me right now. 
Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Today, I repent of my sins. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to make me clean on the inside. Today, I receive your spirit into my heart. Today, you give me power to become a child of God. I thank you from this day. God is my father. I am his child. And I follow Jesus. Amen.